Yeah, I had in mind an introduction, then I was back there and made the mistake of talking with Robert, and he was giving me some words of encouragement, you know, regarding my dad, but uh, for those of you who don't know, my dad has colon cancer, and he was diagnosed uh, a little over a month ago with colon cancer, and it's stage four, very advanced. Uh, the doctors have pretty much told us that the treatments, the chemotherapy, and all of that will um, basically just be buying time. And so I want to start this morning just by saying, you know, it is great to be a Christian, and it is great to know that my dad is in Christ. For those of you who are not in Christ, it's not going to end good. And I can't imagine getting the news that we got concerning my dad. I can't imagine getting it three years ago when he wasn't in Christ. My dad studied the Bible for the first time when he was 69 years old, and I was able to baptize him into Christ along with my mother on the same day. And guys, I'm telling you, I don't care how old you are, whether you're 69 or whether you're 18 years old here with us today or whether you're younger than that, doesn't matter. Anywhere in between, tomorrow's not promised for us. Tomorrow's not promised to any one of us, and it's time to make a decision. It's time to get serious about Jesus Christ, whether we really believe He is who He said He was or not. If you believe it, man, let's, let's jump in the water, let's wash our sins away. Let's come up new with God living inside us. Amen? Amen. I was assigned this topic. Um, of course, the, the whole theme of the weekend is reclaim the first century power and purpose. And so I was given the task of talking about reproducing. And this is my text for the morning. Um, and you know what? Out of all the things that I remembered to bring up here, I didn't bring a Bible up here. Somebody got one of those? That would be really helpful right about now. Thank you. Oh, man, let me have his. That one's... I, I, hey, that's like a weapon. Uh, anyway. All right. So let's read this passage together. I think I may actually have it on the screen now that I think about it. I don't have all of them on the screen, so this will come in handy a little bit later. Let's read this. Acts 2, 42-47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so you can quickly pick up on why this was the assigned text for reproducing. Because the first century church, with power and with purpose, was reproducing on a daily basis. Amen? Do you want to reproduce on a daily basis? You want to see 3,000 souls baptized in one day like it happened in this, in this chapter just a little bit earlier? Wouldn't you love to see that? So it makes sense that we picked this passage. And you know, as I jumped into it, in fact, when I was first given it, it was months ago. 
And I kind of logged it away in my head. Yeah, yeah, okay, man, I could talk about that on the spot. I don't have to do a whole lot of preparation. And man, when I sat down with God's Word and I started to look at this text, and I highlighted these words, and look, there's a sermon. Those of you who teach lessons see a sermon in the highlighted words all by themselves, don't you? And I could stand up here and I could, I could talk to you today about, man, we've got to up our devotion. We're not committed enough. We need to examine the Greek word for devotion. We need to understand what that means. And we need to really get on our game and be more devoted. And everyone in here, if I did a sermon on devotion, would come up feeling guilty at the end of it. Because we're not devoted enough. We're not committed enough. Devoted to what? Well, the apostles' teaching. And we could have a whole lesson on, we got to have the right doctrine. You know, we don't have apostles anymore. Or maybe we do. We're not real sure. But we can easily say, well, that means for us today, that means the Word of God. we got to be more devoted to reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. We could have all of that in this lesson this morning. We could, we could focus on fellowship. We could even break out the word koinonia and get really deep with it and say, man, we got to be more about everybody, the whole, the fellowship that's caused by the blood of Jesus rather than just about me. We could have that lesson. We could have a lesson on prayers. Anybody just pray too much? No, we could have a, a lesson on that and I could show you how you watch more TV than you talk to God and we'd feel guilty, Right? Some of us spend more time on the commode than we do in prayer. It's true. They had everything in common. We got our own stuff. It doesn't mean they all like chocolate cake. It meant that if someone had a hammer and this guy over here didn't have a hammer, they both had a hammer. They had it in common. We could have a lesson on we got to share better. And you just pick them. Just pick one of them, praising God. Look down at the bottom, praising God. We got to talk about, man, if we want to reproduce, we got to beef up the, the praise and worship. We got to have more beatboxing, or we got to have more this or that. We got to make it more entertaining. We got to do this. We got to be more devoted to all these things. And we got to enjoy the favor of all people. You know, when you go to a restaurant, we could have a lesson on this. When you go to a restaurant and somebody waits on you, leave them a tip. Don't stiff them, right? You're like, and God bless you, by the way. I, you know, I saw this on Facebook. Like somebody wrote like a scripture and God bless you and then zeroed out the tip line. I'm like, dude, we're supposed to be enjoying the favor of all people, right? So we could have had that lesson. We just did in like two minutes. But you know... I concluded as I was going through this and preparing on what, what, Lord, do you want me to say to this group? I concluded that if we did all of those things, even more perfect than we're currently doing, we, we beefed up every one of those underlined, highlighted words and phrases. We were more devoted to every one of those areas. Guys, it would not make us produce any more. The reason I say that, the very last verse, it says, and who? The Lord. Say it loud. The Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It didn't say, okay, now after they were devoted to this, 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 and they beefed up this, and they beefed up that, and they did a better job at this, and a better job at that, 
the church added to their number. It says the Lord added to their number. And so I conclude from this text, guys, that it is not a formula on how to grow the church. It's not a formula on how to reproduce. But it's simply a description of the church that God was growing. It's simply a description of the characteristics of that church that we're reading about. See, we want it to say, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Instead of and, we want it to say, therefore, the Lord added to their number daily. You see, they were more devoted to all those things. Therefore, God added. That's what we want it to say. Because we, got, we feel like we got some type of control over that. And we have something to do with that. And yet this passage takes it completely out of our hands. And puts it solely in the hands of Almighty God in heaven. That's powerful. It's powerful to me. Oh, I had a slide for that. Not a formula for church growth, but a character description of a church God grew. I need a volunteer. I've already prepped him. Where are you at, crazy man? Let's go. All right, I was told this guy is crazy. I need one more volunteer, not so crazy. All right, you sure you're not so crazy? Right there with the, with the nice mustache. Come on. Let's go. All right, I want to use this as an illustration. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Carol. I almost forgot. Carol demanded. Sorry, by the way. You did volunteer. Yep. You're doing good. Isn't he doing good? Give him a hand. Yeah. Hey, spread that one out for me. All right. I've never seen someone stand on plastic bags any better. That is really good. All right, here we go. All right, put it over here, man, so he can be like right in the center. There we go. Good, good, good. Now, all right, I've got some. Intri- What's your name, sir? William. William. All right, come here, William. What's your name? Richard. Richard. Good to meet you. Sorry about this. All right, now, <clears throat> William, I would like, don't get ahead of yourself now. You get too excited. Here, in fact, you stand on this side. All right, you ready? I want you to follow my instructions. You got it? I want you to unscrew the top of this bottle. You scared? Not really. Okay. I would like for you... Yeah, actually. All right, I want you to grab my wrist. Grab that thing. All right, there we go. It's okay. Ow, man. I'm kidding. All right, look. All right, step, step a little closer. All right, I'm not doing anything now. I want you to control this. I want you to put it over his head. Yeah. I'd like for you to, um, you know, shake it a little bit, put it on his head. Let's go. Turn it upside down. I'm not doing anything. Come on, man. Be bold. This man, volunteer. <laughs> Come on. I want you to empty it all the way out. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> what did you do, man? I- 
All right, I've got a question. Just sit there and drip, okay? I'm sorry. All right, I got a question. All right? Who's, f- <laughs> mm. Whose fault is that? All right, let's take a vote. Let's take a vote. Who votes on will? That's it? I mean, he like did all the work. Who votes that it's his fault? <laughs> now that's just pathetic. <laughs> they know Wasn't expecting that, okay. They know me. You got history with these, these folks. Okay, anyway, who thinks it's my fault? Dang, man. <laughs> just because I'm wearing an Alabama shirt. It's all right. Lay off the haterade. Lay off the hater tots. Thank you. Somebody needs to laugh. All right. I want to uh, do something else. One more volunteer, if you dare. All right, come on. Hurry. Run. Sprint. Is that your sprint? Oh, I'm sorry. Come on. All right. All right. Now, William, you ready to help me again? Yes. You did so well the last time. All right. Now, I want you to stand here. All right. I want you to grab my wrist, just like you did before. Not, not all delicate like you did at first. All right. Now, grab it with both hands like you did before. I want you to put it over his head. I want you to shake it. Shake it good, man. All right, you can stop. Thank you. You okay? I'm good. Why do these guys look different? Other than, you know, they're born from probably different people. But uh, (laughs) why is one dry and the other one's not? All right, so now let me revisit my question. Give them a hand. Go, Go have a seat and try to... Good job. Now, let me revisit my question. Why or whose fault is it that my man is wet? Now, I, listen, I gave the same instructions on both individuals. He followed the same instructions on both individuals, and yet one ended up wet. Why? So the reason he was wet, not my fault. It's not his fault, William. Not anybody's fault up here. The fault lies in the fact that there was water inside the bottle. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about here? It's really interesting because we want to, the first thing that we want to do when we talk about reproducing is we think about the external. We think about what can we do better? How can I be more devoted to all those different areas? That's what we think. What do I need to do? We want the same results that the first century church had. And yet we fail to ask what was different about the first century church. What was different? Look at this. Jesus says this. And think about the water illustration. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. You ever been walking in the dark, guys, and you just stub your toe and out comes a four-letter word? And you say, whoops, that was an accident. I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. No, what came out was what was in there. We just now know 
what was previously secret and hidden. But it was in there. The world is going to shake you up. Terrible things are going to come and it's going to hit you when you're not expecting it. And your reaction, whether good or bad, is not the fault of the world or anybody else. Husbands, wives, well, if you hadn't said that that way, I wouldn't have done what I did, right? Wrong. The problem was inside. And Jesus has always been more concerned about what's on the inside of a person than what's on the outside of a person. He's very unlike us. Look at this. God is this way. He has been from the beginning. As he's selecting David, right? They've got some suggestions on who ought to be king. But what does it say? He looks and he's looking at the stature of these guys. But it says the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? Y'all with me? Where does he look at? The heart. This is what everybody else sees. This is what God sees. You're welcome, Mr. Black, wherever you are. That's just for you, man. God sees the real us. And that's what he's concerned about. Not what's on the outside, not what we put on. God sees the real us. I got to thinking about Jesus in this regard. I got to thinking about what is Jesus' like strategy for reproducing? What is Jesus' strategy for growing the church? I find his to seem pretty crazy. Over and over again, you see this phrase, large crowds were with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, I'm so glad y'all are here. Let's keep going. That's not what happens. Over and over again, he says things that most preachers would get in trouble for saying from their pulpits. Things that would make people angry and upset and never want to hear him speak again. Look what he says. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person can't be my disciple. How quick do you think the crowd dwindled that day? He hit them where it hurt. That's his strategy for reproducing. He said this on another occasion to a crowd of people. And nobody thought that this was something good that he said, right? Not even his disciples got it. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird, right? I remember studying with a guy who was from India. He knew nothing about Christianity. His family was Hindu. And I remember talking to him and, and he was reading through John and on his own, and when he came back together with me, he had read this, and he's like, I didn't know Christians were cannibals. He was serious. He wasn't joking because it sounds kind of crazy. But can you imagine Jesus coming and saying, I'm the bread that came from heaven, and you got to eat me and drink my blood. It would have made no sense. People would have got angry. They would have been confused. 
I'm not sure that it's like on my top ways of building and reproducing in the church. Yet Jesus said, this is my strategy. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And that's when they wanted to pick up stones and throw them at him. But he escapes. He says, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And the rich young man that he says it to in Luke 18, says, no, nah, I'm going home. He says his face fell and he went on home. And can you picture the disciples? I'm sure they had a different strategy in mind. Man, we finally going to get somebody with some money. Right? We can finally get moving. We can finally get something going. And Jesus just lets him walk. His disciples are like, but, 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 but who can be saved then, man? That guy can't be Who can be saved? They don't understand. And I don't think we understand. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? That's what he said. It's pretty aggressive. You're only here to get your stomach filled. Remember that? After they fed the 5,000, he was regathered with that same group and he saw a bunch of the same faces and he's like, what are, you, what are you doing here? You're just here to get fed again. How many of you guys, I mean, how many campus ministries like feed people to get them? Right? We do that all the time. But at some point, are we going to be like Jesus and be like, what are y'all still coming for? You coming for just the food? I mean, we can keep feeding you, but really? Are we willing to have those kind of conversations? Or are we just going to just, just keep pretending that that's not really happening? Or that guy or that girl that's there just for the guy or that girl? Do we ever speak up and be like Jesus and expect that to work? Rather than our own ideas about how to grow the church. Every time, the crowds shrunk. Every time. What about when you speak? When I speak? Man, if everybody's just always happy, it just sort of bothers me. You know? Oh, man, that was great. It was a good job. Man, it's sort of troubling. But if somebody comes up, man, I can't believe you said that, man. That's making me mad. Yes! You know? I feel like maybe the, the, the wheels are turning or something. Instead of, wow, just great job, you know? You really ticked me off, man. Who you think you are? That's the kind, man, that's what Jesus got all the time. Jesus called, I love this, because you get to see in this passage the contrast between Jesus' methodology of reproducing and the disciples' ideology about how to do the same thing. This is awesome. Look at this. Jesus called the crowd, a crowd again, right, to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when, you said, when they heard this, when you said this? I mean, I know Jesus had to bite his tongue here. I think he did. I mean, because he's like, no, I didn't know that. You know, it's like, pretty sure Jesus knew ahead of time they weren't going to like what he said. Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant, listen to this, 
every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Think about that phrase for a second. I think I've read over that a hundred times and never given it really a second thought, honestly, until preparation for this lesson. But he says, man, if the Father didn't plant it, it's not going to last. It's just going to get pulled up by the roots. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's not even going to, it's not going to be worth talking about. It's going to end. The Father has to be involved in the reproduction process. Not just your program, not just your methodology, not just your pizza, not just your good singing. The Father has to be involved in the process. Or it won't last. Nice picture. It made me think of this. It's another thing Jesus says. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. There's a lot of passages like this in my mind when I think about Paul, who was a great evangelist. He surely had the strategy down pat. He surely knew what to do and how to do. And yet, when he meets up with some ladies, the Scripture it says he begins talking to them, he begins teaching them, and it says that God opened their heart to receive Paul's message. It wasn't his eloquence. It wasn't his nice, fun illustration that left the brother wet and cold. It was the Lord doing something that only he can do in an individual's life. Reproduction. God thinks about differently than we do. In Acts 2, I told you that it's supremely important that we understand a little bit about who that church was and how did they become the people that we read about in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Well, here it is. We've got to get the order right. You see, we want the reproduction, the daily reproduction, God Lord, adding to their number daily. That's what we want. But we want to skip some steps. But here's the order that it happens in the Scripture. First, the message of truth in love is delivered. Whether it offends or not, the truth in love is delivered. The seed is scattered, and it lands on who knows what kind of soil. Next step is, maybe it lands on good soil. And in Acts 2, 36 through 41, we see that it landed on 3,000 good soil hearts. Because it says it cut them to the heart. And guys, if we skip that step, and we just teach people the, the Greek definition of repentance and the Greek definition of baptism and show them how that's not what those other churches teach. right? Let me show you how we understand this stuff better than they do. Which may be true. In fact, I think it is true. But if we skip the step of letting their heart be pricked by God Almighty, it's going to get uprooted and it won't last. It's called godly sorrow. Being cut to the heart. And we mix some terms up. We think godly sorrow and repentance are like the same thing. They're not. If you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll see that godly sorrow leads to 
repentance. Which leads to salvation. And leaves no regret. Another thing we get mixed up is repentance and the fruit of repentance. See, we want to jump to the fruit of repentance. They're not the same thing. One is the result or the byproduct of the other. But repentance can only come after godly sorrow. And repentance, folks, is a change of your mind. Connected with your heart, certainly. But the Greek word metanoia for repent literally means to change your mind. There's no other definition. I've heard some cute ones. It's a pitiful about face, but it's an about face. Right, it's a 180 degree turn. That's what we've heard, it's what we've talked about, it's what we've taught. But really it's a change of mind and that's significant. Because if we're talking about turning away from sin and turning to God, we're really most of the time speaking about behavior. But that falls under the umbrella of fruit of repentance. We cannot get the cart before the horse. Repentance has to take place. And until your mind changes, your behavior might change for a little while, but you're going to be right back in the same mess. But true repentance doesn't lead to death. It leads to eternal life and no regrets. Then we get baptized, man. Sins washed away. Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us as a gift, a free gift. And that's when Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 enters the picture. After all of those steps. It says, then... They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. But see, we want to jump to that and talk about reproducing without a cut heart, without godly sorrow, without true repentance. Right? We want to skip steps and get all the way down to reproduction. I want, to, I want to show you something. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, I put up several different translations. I don't know what you have out there. But what you'll see is something along these lines. It says that the Lord's eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth. Some of y'all just went, uh-oh. He's watching. Yeah, all the time. They go to and fro through the whole earth. And he's looking for something. The text says he's looking for someone to show himself strong through. He wants to support someone, another translation says, to strongly support an individual, and that's where the latter part comes in. He wants to support those and show himself strong through who? People whose hearts are fully committed to him. People whose hearts are perfect toward him. Not meaning that we're somehow perfect, and that's the only way God's going to use us. We've got to understand the context, right? Perfect, a lot of times in the Scripture, means it's whole, it's complete, it's done, it's finished. So we go on down to the ESV, and it says, their hearts are blameless toward Him. And then I love the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, 
Their hearts are completely His. So you got some questions to ask of yourself. Is your heart completely His? If not, I would propose to you that maybe it's because your heart has not quite been pricked, cut. Maybe it hasn't fully hit you yet. The magnitude of the love demonstrated on the cross where He hung in agony and pain because He loved you and He saw a future in eternity with you. Maybe that hasn't touched your mind or your heart yet. My prayer is that God will do His thing and begin to help you see it, feel it, understand it, and come to a godly sorrow about it. God's Word, God works through those that are devoted, absolutely. But how do we get to that devotion? We first have to become convinced of some things. We have to repent. We have to be pricked. We have to repent, man. we got to change our minds. And be totally His. Here's my heart, God. I'm not holding anything back. What are you holding back? I'll give you this guy, but this little part of my life, mm, I like that one. Well, hang on. Yeah, this Christian thing sounds pretty good, but man, you start talking about this hate your father and mother stuff, I don't know, man. We've got to decide who is this Jesus guy. Did he really die and three days later come back from the dead? You don't have to hang up your brain to figure that out, okay? You don't have to hang up your brain to be a Christian and just blindly leap into the unknown. Yeah, I believe he died and rose again. Why? No, Why? There's evidence. There's so much evidence, it's ridiculous. God came into the earth and he put his handprint on it and you can find his fingerprints everywhere. You know, I'm trying to hurry up. How much time do I have? Because I will fail. Okay. Um, all right, I'm sorry. Let me, let me get through this. Devoted in the scripture, I'm going to give you a really quick, probably the fastest Sacrificial system and offerings lesson you ever got. You say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Hopefully by the end it'll make sense. The devoted thing is the object that is being offered to God. In the Old Testament, it could have been a lamb. It could have been a bull. It could have been some food. In fact, there were, when you hear the word sacrifice, you tend to think about sacrifice for what? For sin. It's the first thing we think, man. We think about the Day of Atonement, like some animal getting butchered for the sins of God's people. And it had to keep on happening, keep on happening. And then finally Jesus hit the scene, and it happened once for all, and no more killing of animals. Unless you come to family vacation and Mackie kills the fish. <laughs> but here's the thing. There were, there were sin offerings, but there were also worship offerings. As a result of God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, I want to worship you, God, with this offering. Not so that my sins can get forgiven, but because I love you and I just want to say thank you and I just want to worship you with this offering. In fact, these were the most dominant offerings ever offered. <laughs> I was trying to think of another word. Offered. 
Um, they were called the sweet savor offerings because they would fume up to God like the animal would be dead and he'd be burning there. He'd be totally consumed. The man would lay his hands on the animal and transfer himself so that the smoke would go up to God and he would be in that smoke going up to God saying, I am yours. And the animal would be 100% consumed. It would be the best animal, not some old janky animal that couldn't even see right or you know how to limp. It would be a good animal, one that you would really like to keep. But God, no, this is yours. The grain offering was the other type. And this is when you would go out and get the first of the harvest and the best of the harvest and you would make like a, a cake or something. It wouldn't be very tall because they didn't use leaven, but it, man, it would be good still. And then you would burn it. You wouldn't eat it. You like prepare it, get all ready, it looks good, and you're like, man, let's go. No, let's burn it. <laughs> you know? And the smoke would go up to God in worship to Him. Sounds weird. It's what, it's what they did. And the burnt offering, the person would lay his hands on it, it would fume up to God. It was about saying this to God. It's about all that I am. And the grain offering was about saying all that I have is yours. All that I am, all that I have. Try to make it real. Y'all could care less about a sheep. You don't grow up around sheep. But the folks in the Old Testament were around sheep more than they were dogs. And they named them, and they loved them, and they cared about them. It's like sending Fluffy. Saying, God, man... Dog does some good tricks, man. I love that dog. Cuddles with me. Man, but here. Is that a little more real? How about that? If you like strawberries, it's getting real, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine making that and then just torching it? Not even licking a little bit? It's all yours, God. I mean, you don't even get to see God eat it. You just see smoke up in there. And there's faith there, man. This is for you, God. I mean, it's kind of crazy. We're finally to this, man. And some of you are saying, man, cut him off right now so this doesn't have to happen. But I went around and collected some money. Y'all can see how much that is? You can't from here, but that's a $100 bill. Somebody gave it to me. I asked. Y'all are giving, man. I asked another individual. They gave me another one. I asked another individual. I got three. Three $100 bills. Now, if I were to ask, okay, I have permission to do whatever I want with these $300 bills. If I were to ask you, what good thing could we do with that? Give me something. Give me the most spiritual thing I could do with this 300 bucks right now. Give it to you? That ain't spirit. No, what'd you say? <laughs> Buy food for somebody. Tithe. You said tithe? What else? Burn it? You crazy, man.
Money burns extremely fast. <laughs> Did that just happen? Oh my goodness. That actually hurt a little bit. <laughs> Is that like, like, wow, I've never burned money before. Wow, we just learned something. I was like, I couldn't even put it out. Is anybody in here upset about what just happened? Who in here could have used that? Hey, whoever donated that, my bad. Oh, boy. I can't pay you back. I'm a campus minister. I'm sorry. Look. It got real just now, right? The strawberry cake was real enough, but the 300 bucks? I could buy three, I don't know, I couldn't buy 300 of those strawberry cakes, but I could buy a bunch. But look at this. This is the call. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Who can quote that? Raise your hand if you can quote it. What does it say? Stand up and yell it. Stand up and yell it. Oh, you thought you could quote it. Don't leave that part out. Good job. Let's go. In view of God's mercy, keep going. Offer yourself. Woo! Give him a hand. Yes. Yes. Now you listen. That's the call. But look, what's the very first phrase that we want? We will we leave it out. In view of God's mercy. Offer yourself. See, it's connected. If we have a view of God's mercy, then suddenly I'm motivated from within. My heart has changed. I want to do something. I'm devoted. But it's in view of God's mercy that I put myself on the altar. Last passage of Scripture, and then we're going to pass some things out. Jesus said this, guys. And I could have just said this and went home, but it wouldn't have been as fun. But look at what he says. Reproduction. Here it is. Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. And we don't want that. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. What do we have to do to reproduce, folks? All that I am... All that I have, it's yours. I put myself on the altar to be totally consumed. I don't want any of me to be left. I want it all to be yours. I want to die. I want to spiritually die to myself. And that's when God will say, I'm going to work strong through him. Because I can finally, I finally got something I can work with. Until you're dead, he's got nothing to work with. Nothing. I want to end with a challenge. We have volunteers all around the room. You'll see them standing up. This is our last activity. They're going to pass out a little piece of paper. But listen, do not take the piece of paper just because everybody else is. I want you to think long and hard about this. You're going to put your name on this piece of paper if you're willing to say to God, all that I have, 
and all that I am is yours. I'm ready to die. I want you to write your name on the piece of paper, and when you're done, you're going to bring it up here to my little receptacle. Let me use the stairs. And then, y'all are going to pray really hard that this goes well. Quickly, quickly, quickly. You're going to have to shout at me. I'm dumb. Up on the table? You sure it's wet now? All right. This ought to be fun. Whose Bible did I borrow? Hey, bring your, uh, bring your name up here. Put it in if you filled it out. Nope, done. Hey, do me a favor and sort of crinkle it a little bit. That'll help. Here, let me help y'all out here. I'll put it back up here when we're done. There we go, there we go, there we go. Campus ministers and, and leaders, my prayer is that you're setting the example and saying, look, I'm all in too. And listen, I want you to pay attention to who's putting this paper in here. This is conversation starting right now, right? Man, if you put this paper in here, get ready. Your campus minister is going to come talk to you and say, are you serious? Are you for real? Are you really all in? Because I'm telling you folks, if this many people are really all in, our world can be upside down. We can change our campuses. But you guys got to be for real. By the way, I applaud those of you who didn't take this decision lightly and you're just sitting there. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, right, crinkle them up for me a little bit. Man, this is fired up. I like literally. <laughs> Bad joke.
Hey, if you're fired up about the amount of people who put this in this box, let me know. Let God know. We're excited, man. All right. Well, it's the moment of truth. I, uh, I tested this at home with uh, 50 committed souls. I don't know how many committed souls we got here, but it's more than 50. You sure you want it on top? I think it's better down here. Can I make an executive decision? Hey, is anybody getting this on video? Oh, man. We good? All right, here we go. Have mercy. Woo! Where's the lid? There we go. All right. So some of y'all put real paper in there. I didn't anticipate that. All right. So that's not real paper. It was supposed to all be consumed and be done. Nothing left. And that's my plea to you guys. Man, God loves you more than you can even fathom. And Jesus wants to be your Lord. Not so he can boss you around, but because bossing you around is for your best. With him as boss, life can really happen. But you got to decide. It's all or it's nothing. Man, talk to, your, talk to your campus ministry leaders. Tell them, man, what is... You know, God didn't prescribe that. That's a Mackie prescription, but God has a prescription. It's called repentance and baptism. Talk to somebody about it. Say, I'm all in. Let's go conquer the world for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys.